Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through real estate. We'll be discussing the most important lessons or better known as the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate Investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance with new and experienced investors to help you get into real estate investing or scale up your portfolio. So make sure to tune in. What's going on, everyone? It's Ross Nadai, host of the Golden Nuggets podcast. Welcome to episode five. I have a jam-packed episode for you today. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Andrew Cox, a real estate investor from Toronto, who's investing in Windsor and Nova Scotia. We had so much to talk about, and I have decided to divide the episode into two parts. Part one, you'll learn how Andrew got into real estate investing, why he started investing in Windsor, what are the market fundamentals in Windsor, such as good areas to focus on, the resources to use to find market rental rates, the major employers of the city, and what the future of Windsor looks like. We also discussed how to find deals in the hot market, the importance of having a strong support system, work-life balance, knowing your identity, and being able to differentiate between your goal and what you truly want in life. With that said, please help me reach as many eyes and ears as possible by sharing this podcast on your Instagram and Facebook stories and tagging me in it. I'll return the favor and give you a shout out back. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment, like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so that you can stay up to date on the most recent episodes. And again, it costs you absolutely nothing. So I would greatly appreciate it if you can share this content so I can provide you even more free content and have some amazing guests come on. Thank you so much for your support. I truly appreciate it. Please enjoy part one of episode five with Andrew Cox. Welcome to the Golden Nuggets of Real Estate. I'm your host, Ross Nadai, and today we have our special guest, Andrew Cox, who is an investor in the Windsor market. So without further ado, Andrew, please go ahead and tell us a little bit more about what got you into the real estate investing and what are some of the projects you're up to? Well, hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. We finally connected, and it's uh, it's going to go public now. <laughs> Absolutely, for our first meeting. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Well, that's a pretty uh, pretty loaded question. Um, there's there's a lot to say there, but I guess if I was to summarize uh, my quest or my journey in real estate started when I realized that my savings, my RSPs, and and you know anything else that I might have had was pretty pitiful. I used uh, all of my my RSPs originally for my first time home buyer credits or, or, or purchase, and then I'm repaying it over the years. So I basically broke that compounding effect that happens and, and, and essentially started over um, at, uh, what was I, like 30 or 35 years old or something like that. So when I realized that there's no way I'm retiring with a million bucks in the bank, um, or nowadays they say you need, you know, even more. I really got me thinking and I, I did the the whole search online about, you know, investing and, and you basically come up with stocks and real estate when it comes to like you type in the question of wealth. Right. And then, you know, real estate was always something that I was interested in. Uh, even as a young child, I would, you know, watch Homes on Homes and, and all those Property Brothers shows and things like that. So I just started diving a little deeper into that and then realized that the only way that I was actually going to uh, be able to retire comfortably 
was, you know, if I can buy an asset with, you know, let's say $250,000 asset with $50,000 and somebody else is going to pay it off for me, then, you know, boop, light bulbs. And I said, well, that, that's the only way I'm going to do it. Right. And then, of course, as I dug deeper and deeper and deeper and got down the rabbit hole, then this whole world of real estate investing opened up and that it could be actually a career. And then, you know, you start looking into wealth as a concept and success as a concept. And you realize like, oh, my gosh, this is a much bigger. This is an entrepreneurial venture now. And and like my whole world changed and they started doing more personal development and and learning about, uh, you know, financial strategies and and making your money work for you, not just in a real estate sense, but there, there's a whole sort of life to, to money. And, and, you know, it needs to, it needs to move. You can't mm-hmm. just let it sit. Um, and so I, I basically became hooked on real estate, you know, 150% and, and haven't looked back since. Uh, and I actually do this full time now. Um, I, I started four years ago in, uh, well, I guess it's 2017 was my first property. And uh, just in uh, 2019, I, uh, I went at it full, full time. Wow. Just breaking down what you were saying earlier, right? So basically what was like that light bulb? Like what made you just say, you know what? Real estate investing is the way to go, right? Amongst other avenues, like you said, there's stocks, there's uh, other avenues, right? Like, was it like a book that introduced you to that idea? Was it like somebody, a family friend? Like what was kind of like the, uh, you know, influence around you surrounding that got you to real estate? I think the, the influence was not one book, but many books, um, not one podcast, but many podcasts. Uh, I started on actually the first two or three years. I didn't even really realize there was a whole world of Canadian content. And I got into the bigger pockets atmosphere. Right. Which of course, is a U.S. thing, which, you know, the fundamentals are still the same. You just have to ignore everything to do with uh, taxation and uh, loans and uh, all the lists that they have access to in the States and stuff like that. But the light bulb, yeah, it was it was kind of over time um, just reading a whole bunch of books. Like I think that my my analysis paralysis period was was like 100 books. Um, I was commuting to from uh, Toronto to Aurora for work. Mm-hmm. And I decided that that hour's commute that I had every day would be better served with audiobooks. So I just consumed, you know, two hours a day, every day for years. And I think the real light bulb for me, I mean, as far as the concept, I like I read financial books or listened to them, I should say. And it really taught me some financial education as well as just real estate. And for me, and I mean, everybody has their own opinion, but for me, I think that over stocks, like I have more control over real estate mm-hmm. and I can get into real estate with less money and I can get into real estate with other people's money. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about stocks, but I've never heard of somebody borrowing somebody else's money to buy stocks. Right. I, I, don't, I don't even know if that exists. Um, Banks will never give you the money for that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. Yeah. And I don't think a person would either. But yeah, and, and the, the idea of, of leverage is huge. Like that was really the key for me. Mm. And um, 
and yeah, they're just like the, the growth over time. And, and most people that like generational wealth is, is sort of created from, I'd say, I'd say either business or real estate yeah. and biz, business was also like, okay, I could start a business, but the realization of that is going to be a pretty long, like, okay, nowadays you have people starting up a company and it's worth a billion dollars inside of two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not a tech mogul or anything like that. Um, so it's like, what can you do like sort of as a solopreneur and still reap the benefits and real estate is far more accessible than I ever thought it was. Uh, you just really need to get in and, and learn, learn the tips and the tricks and the strategies that, that you can apply. And I mean, there's a lot, but really at the end of the day, there's not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you got your buy and hold, your variation of a buy and hold is a burr. You've got your flip, you've got your wholesale. And then within that, you could do single family, multifamily. Like the 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 ultimate like baseline is actually pretty low, and right. um, it's it's not too difficult. Like I took a long time to learn these lessons, but I think that nowadays, now I'm I'm experiencing all of the community that we have now in Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. You could learn exponentially faster than I I ever did. To get yeah, in. if only we knew what we knew now. 10 years ago. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> well, you speak of Windsor. So, so I'll, I'll dive a little bit into to Windsor if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that, so the origin there is that my family is from Windsor. Oh, okay. so, so I was familiar with that market before anybody else even knew about Windsor. And I started investing in Windsor before anybody was talking about Windsor or the papers were reporting on it or anything. And, and actually, for me, it's like when I first I saw a couple was a couple of years ago, I saw an article in the Toronto Star naming Windsor as the upcoming hot spot or whatever. And I said, oh, shit, the heyday's over. Now everybody <laughs> knows my secret. Right. Because uh-huh. everybody used to think I was crazy. Right. Windsor, four hours. What are you talking about? Like, why don't you invest in Toronto? And then, of course, you have to explain like. Well, you're not really getting cash flow in Toronto and, you know, all the fundamentals aren't necessarily uh, in your favor, but mm-hmm. yeah, Windsor. So my aunt, actually, you speak of ten years ago. My aunt, I bought this house that I'm in now uh, nine years ago. And while I was thinking about buying this house, my aunt had said, "Why don't you consider looking at Windsor?" And the only thought that went through my head is, "I don't want to live in Windsor." Yeah, because back then it still had the reputation of of just being sort of like this awful city somewhere in Southern Ontario. And uh, I never even thought about buying from an investment perspective. I didn't Mm -hmm. think it was something I could do. And so when you talk about if I knew now what I knew then, oh man, like you buy (laughs) houses for $60,000 10 years ago. It was crazy. I actually saw when I first started out my investing career, like I I said, 2017, late 16, I actually saw my aunt's old house that I remember going to when I grew up was for sale for $90,000. And there was no bidding wars back then. Nope. And I was like, oh man, like (laughs) (laughs) that house now would be worth 200 easy. Yeah. 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 It's it. I mean, the market says I've jumped up quite a bit. I know, especially Windsor, Windsor, I would say probably anything in south, uh, southwestern Ontario basically is just skyrocketed. We're I don't, primarily it has to do with the COVID effect and also the mortgage, but yeah, we're seeing almost 
would say double digit appreciation over a year. Like it's insane. Some places are seeing 20% almost. And I think even Windsor, um, there were certain months that I, I looked and in, in, in the stats, they were saying even 30% I saw in Windsor in certain yeah, areas. Windsor is a bit of a, an insane. isolated, ridiculous experiment in, in how, how quickly a market can rise. Um, and of course it was always undervalued for the longest time. Like, Windsor appreciation was non-existent for, right. I mean, the first 30 years of my life. Like my, my aunt and uncle, I asked them, they, they bought their, it was a three-story townhouse and they bought mm-hmm. it for $60,000. And that was probably when I was 10 years old. So that's like 30 years ago. Right. And then they sold it about 10 years ago for 90000 so that that what did I so that's twenty years yeah with like I I make that appreciation in my properties in a couple of weeks now <laughs> right yeah there was no appreciation back in the day yeah and then that all of a sudden it took this huge jump right so, so I'll tell totally you I'll tell you my my first two properties I bought uh-huh. two, two properties in two thousand and seventeen right. one for one hundred and fifty thousand and one for one hundred and thirteen thousand and they both they appraised. Uh, about three, four months ago, one was the 150,000 was, I think, 297. And the 113 one was somewhere around 240. Wow. So in, in was that three? Well, this is going back. So two and a half years. Right. Uh, double in value, right? So, yeah. You know what this reminds me of is the Toronto market uh, in t- Started in 2016 mm-hmm. and ended around 2018 when it just like skyrocketed. Yes. And then, and then they had to shut it down. Like the government was like, we're putting in foreign taxes. We're putting in the, <laughs> what is it? The, um, the mortgage qualification. The Yeah. What's that called again? Stress test. Stress test. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And it yeah. just like, shut it down right away, like overnight. Yeah. And I remember my neighbor actually had a problem where they sold their house and two weeks later, the person backed out, but it was a mm-hmm. confirmed offer deposit received. So now they had to sue them. But the reason the person backed out was because they bought the house for, I don't know, like $600,000. And literally two weeks later, it was worth 550 or 500. Oh, wow. It just changed so yeah. quickly. Right. So they yeah. overpaid so much because yeah. of the frenzy. And I worry that that's happening in Windsor, to be honest with you. And you know what? That that brings a really good valid point. And that's the thing. Like what, what we're seeing in the market right now, it's not sustainable. I, I just hope people realize that you, you cannot expect 20 or 10% appreciation over a year. I would say a good estimate, a safe number is probably 2 to 3%, depending on the market. You know, some could be higher, some could be lower. But if you if you're calculating, I think that will be what I'll be looking at in my numbers. I'm not gonna bank on 20% and say I'm gonna go buy a million dollar listing in uh, in Windsor and it's gonna double to two million next year, right? That's not how it works, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so you have to be very careful. So I know you had like I guess some sort of roots in and background into the Windsor, but what drove you there? Was it the cash flow? Because you did say there was not much appreciation. So was it because of the cash flow that you decided you know what I'm gonna go in there and, and make some money or did you go with more of a buy and hold or was it more of a flip? What, what was your initial? Um, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, so there is the familial connection there. Um, uh, so the way I saw it is 
if I'm entering into a market that I don't really, I didn't know about Windsor from a, an investment market perspective, mm -hmm. right? And quite frankly, if you asked me to get around the city, I wouldn't be able to tell you, even though I'd been going there for, at the time, you know, 35 years of my life, I wasn't right. paying attention. So I thought it'd be really good to have uh, some boots on the ground that had local knowledge. You know, my aunt and uncle know neighborhoods, they know where to steer clear of. Um, I did go to Windsor and I literally drove in. If you know Windsor, there's sort of the, the core and then there's the west side where the university is. There's right. the east side, which is Tecumseh. Southern Windsor is um, below EC Row. And then there's this like central Windsor area. I literally got in my car with my laptop open to MLS. Right. And um, I drove up and down every single street because I wanted wow. to get familiar with the neighborhood a bit. Um, but then I, I went back to my aunt and uncle's house, which is where now I can stay. Right. And uh, I talked to them about what I saw in those neighborhoods. So that ability to talk to somebody was 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 fairly helpful. Um, but moving on, like, I mean, my realtor and, and, and my property manager and those people are now my resource for where I should buy and where I should avoid and stuff like that. But as far as to, to your point, the financials, it when you start into real estate, I think that the first thing that you need to do is is really dial in on the basics. Um, I researched a lot of cities around Southern Ontario uh, on the CMHC website. I looked up articles. I would look on the MLS to see what average properties, because at the time when I started, if you looked at the MLS, the price listed was more or less the price it was going to sell for. Right. Nowadays, the listed price means they might as well list every property for a dollar because that's about how <laughs> important that is. Um, but anyway, so I could tell like I had, I was using my home equity credit line because after 2000, like I bought my house in 2013. Mm -hmm. So by 2017, depreciation on my house was double. So right. I had this massive credit line that I, I could tap into. But so that to me at the time, like I said, I didn't really understand like what I know now. So I thought this is how much money I have. $300,000, I think it was. Right. So that was my budget, essentially. Um, so so when I looked at Windsor and the prices were so low compared to everywhere else, um, you know, London and Peterborough and, you know, Barrie and, and all those sort of areas. Mm -hmm. uh, then I started looking a little bit more. I'm like, oh, Windsor, like my aunt said, duh. <laughs> and then and then you can go on like Kijiji or Padmapper or any of those uh, publicly posted like sites where somebody might post a, a for rent ad. And then you get an idea <clears throat> what a two bedroom rents for, what a three bedroom rents for. And there's all sorts of sites. Like I think even Padmapper has like averages in certain areas. If you just type in Windsor. Mm -hmm. um, so then that gives you a figure. You could say, okay, now I know that this, this house is a three bedroom, two bath, and it's $150,000. Right. And then if I look up the rentals and I say, okay, that's going to be, you know, Fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars, and then you do the math because, <clears throat> of course, even at the time I knew about the one percent rule, which is that your uh, rents need to be one percent of your purchase price. Mm -hmm. That rule doesn't necessarily apply right these days, but um, right. but it's still a good rule of thumb to like just out of the gate. You can look at something, and you know, if it's four hundred thousand dollars and the rents are fifteen hundred, then walk like forget it. You know, yeah. 
Yeah. Which is basically Toronto. Um, yep. But yeah, so I did a comparison and I, I, I saw that the ratio of rent to, to purchase was, was stellar. It was amazing. Um, way, way better than anywhere else that I could find. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, without maybe being like a small town somewhere. Um, <clears throat> and that's, that's what brings me to the next thing is even though a small town might have, you know, the 1% rule all day long, if it's, you know, a one horse town, you drive through and you don't even realize that you just drove through a town. Like, I don't know how, like people obviously do have places there, but people aren't going to be clamoring to rent your, your house. So right. you look at the market fundamentals is, is there a growing, uh, uh, immigration is there, you know, schools are big ones, um, university or government. Yeah. Universities in particular colleges in particular, like ones that are, are, are internationally recognized. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're definitely going to attract a lot of people to them. Um, but even infrastructural, like, uh, hospitals, like large hospitals, um, <clears throat> obviously Windsor has auto sector, but I didn't want to rely on the auto sector. Yeah. So I started looking for other things, right? So then I'm like, uh, the casino, huge employer, huge right. employer. Casino also, I mean, if you're in the Airbnb market, the casino means that people are going to be looking for places to come for a couple of nights. Right. Um, there's a lot. There's actually, for the size of Windsor, I mean, there's three huge hospitals, and they're also building a mega hospital for the region. Uh, so that's good. Um, there's an airport in Windsor. There's a transportation hub. I mean, anything that links to another country mm-hmm. is going to be an extremely relevant city um, to some degree. Uh, you know, like you could argue that, you know, okay, Sarnia links to another city, but Sarnia has been largely overlooked. But Windsor is a like a major, major thoroughfare for transportation. So you have a lot of transfer stations of trucks, like warehousing, stuff like that, uh, depots. Um, so yeah, there was just a lot of, of really strong market fundamentals that I could see. Right. And it was at one point, Windsor was very, <clears throat> pardon me, um, had a lot of, uh, uh, their eggs in one basket, which was the auto sector. Yeah. And over yeah. the course of the last couple of decades, they've like the casino diversifies them. There's actually an, uh, an aquatic center that's, um, I believe it was built for wasn't Olympics. Pan was Am, it like a training facility? It's, tra- it's an Olympic style training. Yeah, it's got the the proper right. size pools and all that sort of stuff. Right. So swimmers actually go from all over um, to train there. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different things um, that that offer. And and quite frankly, I think Windsor is one of these places that is 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 it can't fail. The government won't let it fail because at some point, like to some point, I mean, businesses might close. And personally, like, I, I don't know that I would ever go near um, uh, commercial real estate just because the ebbs and the flows. I've seen Windsor when literally, um, like, what was it, 2008 was devastating. It was just right. like you go down a main strip and there's just like closures. And I'm talking like the keg, uh, Kelsey's you know, like big names that just walked away kind of thing. It's like, wow, this is scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. But since then they've learned their lessons and, and they've diversified. So, yeah. And I love that. I love that you looked at like, you know, you didn't rely on just one sector, like which in this case you mentioned a big one was the auto industry. And then 
we've all seen that happen over the years. Like Oshawa was another one. Oshawa had a huge plant and sort of the Windsor. And so when you, when you, when you bank all your, your, your basically money on one thing, unfortunately it doesn't work out that well. So I'm glad that the city is diversifying. These are the things I didn't even know about the Windsor market. So that's really good to know. So there are a lot of fundamentals there. So you got schools, you got work, we got uh, close to the border. Like it was, you mentioning, that's another huge one. Um, and then you got international, basically students coming in. There's a law school there, which is again, attracts individuals from all over the world. And of course, from Ontario. Um, so yeah, no, that's amazing. I didn't even mention the bridge either, the building, the second right. bridge. So they're, the government's doubling down on Windsor's prosperity, essentially. They're not yeah. going to spend billions of dollars building a bridge um, without, you know, making sure that the city itself is um, sustainable. Yeah. So basically, from what have you invested so far there, uh, Andrew? Are they multifamily? Are they single family? What does your portfolio look like in, in Windsor? Um, well, when, when I started, I wanted simple. And it's funny because I, I recently strayed a little bit from that and and I had to uh, uh, sort of dial myself back and just say, like, why did you start into real estate? Right. And why I started into real estate was because I didn't want to do a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I hire a property manager right out of the gate because, I mean, it was Windsor. So I didn't want to have to deal with that. Right. Uh, so I started in, in single family rentals because they're by far the easiest thing to do. Um, I mean, you just go buy a house, put a family in it and like set it and forget it. Uh, you really never have to do another thing. Although like you might have to pay for some repairs down the line, but mm -hmm. um, really I, 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 my goal is to get to the point where I basically forget that I have the properties right. and, and, and I'm glad to say that as of 2019, I actually started to forget about the two properties <laughs> that I originally bought in 2017. Awesome. Um, so that's a nice feeling uh, to just not like I, I would drive to Windsor for Christmas or Thanksgiving. And I would the first thing I would do when I got into town was drive by my properties. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've driven past those properties for a couple of years now. Oh, wow. So, that's amazing. Um, uh, that's not to say that obviously the property manager is checking on it. But um, yeah. Um, yeah. So single family. Um, I know that most investors tend to gravitate towards multis and the cash flow is better on multis. Um, obviously one house providing two rents is, is definitely better. And then there's an argument for, um, you know, one roof with two dwellings versus, you know, two single family houses is two roofs. So that's, you know, five to $10,000 every 20 years times two. Right. And, but uh, for now it's just ease. Like I know that, Investors like, you know, Matt Pichet, I just watched a video on him and he said, you know, I'm just sticking with single families. It's what I know. It's what I like. It's yeah. simple. It's easy. Um, and that's sort of the, the philosophy that I'm, I'm taking. Um, I did get into some what could have been student rentals mm -hmm. and my timing was extremely off because I chose early 2019 to get into them. Right. Uh, and, and that sort of backfired on me. So I pivoted and I ended up renting them out to a family. So like, I, like the world is pulling me back to the single family sort of model, <laughs> right? Yeah. But like basic fundamentals, how I got started was like buy a shitty house in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. That was it. Simple yep. and easy, right? So I targeted the nicest neighborhood in central Windsor, which is uh, Walkerville. Mm -hmm. 
and I bought two houses in Walkerville and they didn't let me down. Uh, you know, they both, those are the two properties that I mentioned that, that doubled in value. And um, so that's working for me. So when I had the, the troubles in, in 2019 with getting into the student rentals and, you know, you have to keep in mind that when you're doing a student rental, you have to pay for the utilities and set up right. internet and, and furnish. And so I'm getting now into a little bit more active investing. And I thought that's not what I, I don't want to manage the process of renting. I like to buy a house. I like renovating. That's my thing. Um, so I'm actually in 2021, I'm switching a little more to flipping of single families. Um, and, you know, if I, if I can't handle, if I have more leads than I can flip, then, you know, I'll wholesale off to some other investors. But my, my primary is going to be is flipping uh, single families. for the So now are you looking to get those deals off market? Are you working with uh, wholesalers? Are you wholesaling yourself? Or these are deals you're finding on MLS? Um, I'm, I'm doing flyer campaigns myself. And I've just in the last month, I've started experimenting with Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start looking on, you know, Kijiji and Facebook marketplace and those types of things for, for people selling privately. Right. Um, I, wholesalers, I don't intrinsically have a problem with, but I realize that the wholesalers, I believe, I feel like they're more set up for buy and hold investors because essentially you're getting a house that's under market value. They're mm -hmm. tacking on 10 or $20,000, which is essentially the real estate fee. If, if right. it was an agent, um, usually there's still a bit of meat left on that bone. There might be enough meat for a buy and hold investor to go in and do 10 or $20,000 worth of cosmetic fix ups and then put a tenant in. Right. Um, in certain circumstances, you can still do a burr with a wholesale deal. And I know people have done it, especially when it comes to multis, because you can sort of do one unit at a time. But flipping with a wholesale uh, fee attached. I'm not a professional in this area yet, but my impression is superficially is that the wholesale fee is essentially my profit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? It's going to touch margins, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I need to get, I need to be the wholesaler to right. get, like, I need to go to the bottom of the food chain and start there in order to get, because they say uh, for flipping, a rule of thumb is 70% of ARV. Right. So, you know, I, I can't be paying a lot of the wholesale deals are maybe 80 or 90% of, of ARV. And so it doesn't really work out. Yeah, yeah. So in, in, in a nutshell, you're basically trying to source out on your, your own leads, essentially, right? Because you don't want to rely. Because again, and the flipping model is completely different. Like you said, it cuts off your margin. Um, so yeah, that's that's awesome. So how long have you been kind of working in this in this sphere of sourcing on your own? Has it been something recently? And how are things going so far? Um, it's something that I I sort of tippy toed into probably starting about halfway through last year. Um, but I was. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I was sort of trying to figure my own shit out and, yeah. and I didn't like dive right in because it, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily convinced that that's what I was the environment that I needed to be in. Cause mm -hmm. I, 
I've come from a buy and hold burr mindset. Right. And, and then it took me a while to realize that you don't really make any money that way. You do over the long term, but I need long active time. income. Right. So, Correct. so now I've kind of clued in. And in the last, uh, I put out only three or four mailing campaigns. And the first couple were like complete busts. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until uh, just sort of November, December that I actually started to get quality leads. So, so it has been recent and I'm right. still sort of figuring, getting my sea legs, figuring it out. I'm tweaking the message a little bit. Like when I get a call and I, my, my first flyer. So that here's the thing about identity and this is a bit of a side topic, but yeah, when you, when you're in real estate and in any, anything, they, they talk about like, you have to really focus in on like your identity. What are you? So in the course of the last 14 months, let's say, mm-hmm. I've gone from, I was a commercial printer. I, I was a project manager for commercial printing for 27 years. So that was my identity. Right. Then I, I switched and I, I got out of that. There was a, a restructure and a layoff at my facility. And so a bunch of us got let go and I had to reinvent myself very quickly. So I went to become a renovator. I was like, what can I do right now? Well, I, mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed, I have a whole garage full of tools. So I'm like, I literally can start today renovating properties. So I did that. So now my identi- identity was a renovator. Then I got into like, I've always been into real estate, but as having a job, my in, uh, my uh, interaction with real estate was strictly from a long-term investment perspective. It was a retirement plan, right? Right, right. So now I'm getting into like COVID hit and I couldn't do any renovations. So then I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go into real estate investing, like feet first, dive in, hired a coach. This is all I'm going to do now. Forget the renovating. But I still had the renovator in my mind. Yeah. So the first letter I put out is I'm a, a renovator in your city. I'm looking for a property to, to fix up da, 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 da. And the whole rest of the letter says, if you're interested in selling, you know, I'm buying and da, 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 da. Every single phone call I got was, yeah, I need somebody to work on my property. <laughs> Literally every phone call was all they saw was renovator. Andrew, business is booming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, I could make a pretty penny in Windsor right now. I bet you can. (laughs) But it's like it's like I couldn't move forward because my identity was in the past. Right. It was an old identity. So like I literally spent like a thousand dollars and I might as well have thrown it in the garbage because I wasn't aligned with my goals. And so now. 2021 is a great opportunity. I've sort of gotten that out of my system. I realigned my letters. I, I've reworded my letters to be uh, more impactful. And as I get calls from people, I learn what they've responded to and what they haven't responded to. And I, I, I tweak a little bit here and there. And so now I'm, I'm kind of hitting the ground running in 2021, knowing that I am a flipper. I am a real estate investor who flips for money. And like, there's no confusion. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I'm going to treat it sort of like because I'm having to, I'm having to find my own leads. I am kind of de facto a wholesaler 
like it's the same process. Right. So the way I'm looking at it is I could wholesale if I don't particularly isn't fit my model. Right. I could flip it if it fits that model. And if I come across something that's maybe a little nicer and, and doesn't, maybe it only needs 10 or $20,000 worth of work, paint and, you know, what do they call it? Lipstick and stuff like that. Cosmetic. Then, yeah. then maybe I'll look for a JV partner and, and try to keep that for long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the way I'm looking at the future. Yeah, no, and you touched on some great things there. Yeah, I think that's what it is, uh, especially people that start off. I mean, they're, they're a little bit confused. What do I get into? First, you have to figure out the education piece, like you said. You know, you have to know what the fundamentals are, what to look for. Secondly, I would say learn the markets, like look at the numbers, look at the vacancy rate. And then I would say starting out spe- spe- specifically, um, a lot of folks do say, like, and you probably will agree with this, is single family is probably the easiest thing to start off with. Just to Absolutely. get yourself in the market, get your feet wet and uh, learn a little bit, you know, does this work? It doesn't. And then have exit strategies. Like you were saying, you went into the student rental market and look what happened with COVID, right? But at least you had the ability to pivot and say, you know what? I can hold on to this. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to put it, uh, put a family in there instead of a students. And again, who knows what's going to happen in the future that may turn into an Airbnb model for you, or that may even be a student rental again, but you have options. And, and that's, and that's, that's very key. Um, yeah, I really hope the wholesale thing goes really well for you because I know like, um, you know, as investors, uh, one of the toughest things that we run into is two things I would say. One is the finances because we eventually run out of money because we over, we leverage and then there's enough money kind of tied into the properties, especially when you're doing the whole buy and hold strategy. Like you said, you get your uh, cash flows coming in, but then the monies are tied. You know, it's very, very difficult right now to do a perfect burr where you take out all your money when you refi. So there's that. And then secondly, as we were talking earlier, the, the market is crazy competitive. So everybody's trying to make a buck, right? So the uh, prices that have fluctuated quite a bit. And so for you to make any sort of income, especially when it comes to flipping, you definitely have to go at the bottom, like you were saying, and start from there. So I'm glad that you thought of that. And I really think this is going to go really well for you, Andrew. And I'm glad you, you won that model. I think that's very key. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, and I'm excited for, for 2021 with a, a new clarity, right? And and I think yeah. that just dialing back um, the concept of, of what do you want? So we always hear about the why, right? Correct. And something that's just recently resonated with me, um, like I do a lot of personal development in the background. I mean, I know a lot of us do that it's nothing to do with real estate, but, you know, a message to, to new investors too is, Aside from your why, which is important, there's also a what what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's there's this big disconnect in our lives, everybody's lives, about what we want and what what like we should do. And you see, and I'm doing this, <laughs> you see like you're you're following all these people online and you're seeing what their strategies are. And all of that is great and it should be uh, fuel to fire you and it should be uh, knowledge to help you dial in. But at the end of the day, like really ask yourself, what do you want? Mm -hmm. Right. Which is kind of paired with why. And the reason I say that is because like, for example, I want a simple life. I want, I got into real estate not to work. I don't mind working at real estate, but I don't want it like 
the reason I don't do Airbnb is because there's a lot more involvement. And I know there's systems, you can make it simple and everything like that. But I like the single family model because it's simple, it's easy, and I want simple and easy. So I get distracted by, oh, like uh, this guy's buying a a duplex and now this guy's, you know, getting a fourplex and this guy's, I'm watching (laughs) all these things. Oh, I better buy a student rental. I better do this. And I realized, you know, as you're contemplating your your year, like coming to to the the end of the year, I was like, what am I doing now? I'm I'm straying from what I originally wanted, right? And that was to just, you can make a great living off of single family homes, and nobody will tell you in this industry that there's a one way or another to do it. It's right. it's just what you want to do. So. When you're starting out, if, if there's new investors watching this, like commit to yourself, like stick, you can change the plan later, right? but like ask yourself, what do you want? And then what's going to achieve that? Right. I think that that's a very good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, like you said, it's just, there's so much stuff going on. I think over, I would say a year, I think real estate investing has really blown up. We do see it everywhere. Like I, um, my personal story is funny too, because it's like, I, you know, everybody has social media accounts. So what I ended up doing was because there were times where you were all mindlessly just scrolling down and seeing, you know, random, you know, memes and whatnot. It's good. You know, you need a little bit of laughter and, 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 you know, connectivity with your friends. But I got to a point where I'm like, what am I doing? Like, you know, like I would look at my phone and I would see that I spent probably an hour or two every single day doing absolutely nothing. Like nothing is going in here. It's just all BS goes from here. It gets out of here. So I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this. I ended up opening another account, separate account. And now it's just, that's all I use. And what I love about that is just, I follow all real estate investors. I follow, you know, social media things that, would, that, have, that are important. It has to do with news, mortgage agents, like uh, people that, I, that are motivators, like Gary Vee, influencers, right? Like you, you have to feed your brain constantly, right? And the right information. I think that's another key thing that anybody can take away from this is that, because to your point, I could literally sit down and also you have to be smart on how you take that information. Cause yeah, like you said, I can see somebody saying, Oh, I close on an apex. And to your point, I can look at me and I'm like, what the hell am I doing in my life? Why am I buying a single family? Why do I not have an apex? <laughs> Why do I not have one property and they have 10? What's going on? <laughs> so what? two ways of looking into it. One, it could be like, you should, you shouldn't. Like, and I had a post about this a few days ago, my story, because I, I saw uh, a quote and I, I really, really, um, you know, uh, made me realize that this is the reality of it. You can look at it two ways. One, you can take it and motivate you and, and fire you up to say, I want that, right? That's my motivation. If so-and-so can do it, why can't I do it? I think that's that's very powerful when you have that belief and you actually take some action. The other one, that which is also unfortunately a common conception is that people take that information. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, it's too hard. I, like, I don't know how they did it. I don't, I'm not cut up for this. And they're just jealous, they envy. It's like, all you have to do is reach out to that person. Like the real estate community is so, so friendly. Oh, send, send me a DM, send Andrew DM. Hey, what do you think of this property? I want to know a little bit more about Windsor market. Like it, you'd be surprised at how much information there is readily available on your fingertips It's very powerful. So you should definitely use it in the right way. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And, and, and going back when you're to your point about like the, the one outlook of being that, I, Oh, I can't do this. Um, I I don't know. It was either uh, Robert Kiyosaki or Dean Graziosi. 
that I read in a, one of their books that said, don't, don't, if you say you can't, you let yourself off the hook. Your brain stops finding ways of, of achieving something. But if you just ask yourself, how can I? Yep. You know, you don't have to have all the answers, but now your brain is like, this is something I need to look into. Yep. And it's, it's like, you know, when you, when you, when you never thought you'd buy a Volkswagen car and then you buy a Volkswagen car and all of a sudden you see nothing but Volkswagen cars is because your brain has now identified that as something to pay attention to. They were always there. So, so when you, when you ever get to a point where you think you can't do something, you know, that don't, don't say that, say, how can I? And then you'd be amazed, like in a week or two, all of a sudden you might like see a video pop up on YouTube or, or this or that, that's like, leading you in the right direction. It's just giving yourself permission to be, um, to allow the exposure to, to come into you, you know, like, like allow that sort of idea to, to resonate. Absolutely. No, my mindset is everything. And we like, we, we be, and that's the thing you got to figure out, right? You got to feed yourself the right information and believe in yourself and you got to have the right systems in place and the right influencers. Like your five people you hang around with is very yeah. important, right? Like you, you've heard that. And it's true. I know. Right. Like, it made me realize that uh, the other day too, because I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? Like when I was younger, my mom always used to give me that advice too. Be careful with your friends. Be careful with who you hang out with, right? Now I and I look back, I'm like, okay, she was definitely onto something. <laughs> it's so true, right? Like yeah. I turn out right. <laughs> I think <laughs> I have a I have a, a note on my. I've got a big whiteboard over here that you can't see, but it's my brainstorming board for for yeah. my 2021. Right. And there's a question that says, who who are you hanging out with? There I mean, you. right now I'm not hanging out with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> You're but talking to me here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's definitely true because again, we bounce off ideas. We talk about things where you learn, you develop. Um, and then there's people that are going to believe in you and there are people that are not going to believe in you. And it's important to surround yourself with those, right? So having the right support system is very key, right? Like, um, for me, like you're, you have your, your girlfriend, I'm sure she's involved. She knows that what you're up to. So there's that aspiration where I'm sure she motivates you or, or she understands what this is going to lead to. And same thing with me. Am I married? So I, I'm glad that I have my wife who's, who's on, on board with, with this whole situation. And I have other friends, unfortunately, they would love to get into real estate investing, but they're held back because different mentalities, right? So surrounding yourself with the right people is definitely the key. Well, and, and, you know, when you're talking about your significant other, your spouse or your girlfriend or what it may be, and even immediate family members that you're close to, um, mm -hmm. I would say that it's a very common struggle. And I don't know if, if you're, you're uh, sorry, did you say your wife? My wife, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she was on board from day one. Um, I know certainly my girlfriend was not. Right. All, all she was seeing was this thing is taking him away from me. And, and it, admittedly, you know, like a lot of us are, we get like this new thing and we put a lot of attention on it to grow it or whatever, like a, a flower. Right. And there's a balance there, but even very subtly, like you, you, you might, there's support, your family supports you. They're like, oh, that's great or whatever. But there's also like a subtle lack of support. Yeah. If, if you know what I mean, like it's, it's yeah. just in the small little things, like when you, you have comments about uh, not taking enough time or, oh, you didn't call your mother or whatever. Yeah. And it's sort of, they know that it's, 
you're working and that you're you're traveling to Windsor to look at a property, but then but then they still say that, and it's sort of like I'm not really sure what I'm saying with this, but like support comes to a certain point, and and I think people think that they everybody needs to be a hundred percent on board, but there's there's a difference between being supportive but not involved, yeah, and being supportive and being involved. Like you see these husband and wife teams. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a pretty rare thing. Yeah. Usually it tends to be, you know, one or the other that's right. pulling the cart towards real estate. And the other one might be um, sort of indifferent to it, but accepting of that. This is your job and this is what you're doing. Or they yeah. could start to feel like there's a bit of a, 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 a competition going or something like that. So but you know what? I, I, I totally understand what you mean. I kind of like that in a sense because it keeps me grounded. Because for me, what it what tends to happen is whatever I'm passionate about, I give it my all. Like yeah. that's it. Like if I'm doing real estate, I'm I'm literally days, my days now are from I wake up 6 30 in the morning and I'm working till at least 9 30 p.m. or 10 o'clock every single day. And then there, there are times where like, you know, I'm glad that my wife or my significant other, you know, comes up and says, Hey, you know what? Like we haven't spent some time together. You know, why don't you take a little break? Because I get so zoned in yeah. into what I want to do that it's not even healthy for me, right? It's not healthy for a relationship. So in a way, it's kind of a blessing in disguise, right? Because then you're like, it makes you realize, oh, you know what? She is right. I should call my mom or I should check up on my uh, sister or whoever it may be, right? So yeah, well, it's, it's, and it's nice to have that reminder that like my girlfriend says to me, like, this is not your life. Yeah. Like your life exists outside of what you're doing, right? Right. Like, right. So this is just part then, of it. <laughs> yeah. And then what are you doing all this for? If yeah. you're not spending yeah. <laughs> time with the family, you, you're trying to, you're trying to, because a lot of folks, right? When, when we when we talk about what is your why, it's like I'm trying to get more time back. Okay. And what do you want to do with your time? I want to spend time with my family. Okay. Totally get it. But then when you get into this tunnel vision where you're putting 12, 13 hours and you don't talk to anybody. You're denting those relationships that you build over the years, right? Yeah. So it's not like you can retire the next day and say, "Hey, mom, how are you doing?" She's gonna be like, "You haven't spoken to me in like two years. <laughs> what do you want?" <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? So it, it is important, right? Balance is very important, and that goes with ev- everything. And then um, I think a lot of us do go through that little bit of a struggle. So it is good to have those reminders, and it's through our partners or through other avenues for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Tether us to reality. Yeah, no, no, I know. That's why I thanked my wife yesterday. Uh, she also talked about that because I'm doing a lot of podcasting and I'm doing all this stuff. So it's like, okay, you're right. All right, we need to have dinner together. <laughs> we need to have lunch together. <laughs> yeah, and it's nice to take a break too. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm telling you, I get so like uh, into the, my zone. I'm just like working, working, working and shuffling different things, you know, dealing with my tenants, dealing with uh, renovations doing my nine to five job and I got my realtor, um, you know, clients that, I, uh, that I'm dealing with. So it's a lot to juggle, uh, but no, it's, it's, it's kind of good to be realized. Okay. You know what? I need a break. I need to take a day off or go and spend some time the weekend with the family. So mm-hmm. uh, very key. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you also mentioned another thing that earlier was this, that you're also looking into Nova Scotia or you have some investment properties there. So what kind of led you to investing there? Uh, you mentioned, I believe it was uh, primarily a partner of yours. Yeah, um, that was so my market is Windsor through and through. I'm, I'm doubling down on Windsor, even though it's super hot. But like I've got a lot of time and energy invested in, in knowledge and relationships and all that sort of stuff. 
the Nova Scotia thing was, um, I, I don't, I wouldn't call it an accident, but it was a happenstance, whatever. And I was reading, so I'm, I'm part of various uh, organizations on Facebook and that um, I won't necessarily advertise any here, but so we were on Zoom calls together, this partner and I. Yeah. Uh, so I'd known the person virtually for many months, uh, always seemed very straightforward and genuine, you know, and he posted, uh, actually, sorry, I should back it up a little bit. He's a contractor out in Nova Scotia, and I was still doing renovations in the early part of 2019 or to, <laughs> 2020. And I called him for advice because he's more experienced than I am. Mm -hmm. So we talked on the phone for hours and it was, it was pretty incredible really. Like that, like the connection was just solid from day from get go. Right. So we talked, I think another time uh, about, again, about some renovation questions. And then he posted uh, a, a, an, uh, like a, just a post that he picked up a property in, in Nova Scotia and I think it was something about needing a, a money partner or something like that. And I hadn't really thought much of it, but I, I ended up talking to him on the phone and asked him, I was like, well, so tell me about this deal. And I wasn't thinking about investing in it. Well, then I'm like, well, so how much, how much do you need? And he said, I need $30,000. Right. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? <laughs> $30,000. I'm like, I'll put it on my credit card. <laughs> like, you can't buy a house for $30,000. Anyway, so that got me interested. So he sent me the uh, the listing. He sent me, it was a bank foreclosure. Uh, he had a little video tour of the inside of it. And there's actually an incredible site they have out east. I don't remember the name of it right now. But it's very integrated. It shows you, I guess it's sort of like a Zucasa or something like that, where it shows you the sold prices and the, the list prices and it, the property taxes. And the, it actually has the city appraisal and uh, for tax assessment and, and all sorts of stuff. So I was able to look at this property and see that, I mean, all day long, this $30,000 house was worth sixty, It you know, as is. Right. If you sold it tomorrow. So I said, yeah, like I loaned him the money uh, as a mortgage. So I'm not really active in any way, but uh, I felt that that was a, a good investment for like not a lot of downside. Like the risk was pretty low. And for my first forte, $30,000 isn't a small amount of money, but it's also an amount of money I can recover from should right. anything go sideways. Um, and the upside, I, I got uh, equity stake, 50%. So when the renovations are done, I'll get, you know, instead of getting a few thousand dollars in, in payments, you know, I, I'll get tens of thousands, you know. So it seemed like a really good, a really good deal. And I think the important thing on that is, yeah, I did some due diligence. I did some research. I mean, this whole transaction, I think the closing date, he was getting a little desperate. The closing date was about three days, four days away. 
Oh, wow. So I did some really fast research and made some phone calls really quickly. And I didn't have a mortgage document. We needed a term sheet to like agree on everything. I ended up just using something that one of my other like, you know, Facebook colleagues had. And I, it was pretty haphazard to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was based on a relationship. Yeah. You no. Know? So I had, I had trust in this person. Um, hadn't, hadn't known them for very long, but I know that they're in, active in the community and their reputation is good. Everybody else has, feels they have a good reputation. And, you know, if they were to screw me, uh, I could very easily pu publicly shame them, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was just all around. It was, it was pretty good. I, and I, I think that if, if the relationship is right, that you could, you could invest anywhere. And I think that that's, that's a pretty key lesson there that I wasn't looking for Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia found me. Right. The deal came to you. Yeah. Right. Um, and I just said, yes. And that was the only reason I said yes is because I had a pre-existing relationship. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So again, this speaks volumes in terms of network, having a strong network, right? Have you not been in that Facebook group or that uh, social media, you wouldn't have even come across a property, right? So again, being in the right uh, circle of um, uh, people really helps because you get the deals, you get the, um, you know, uh, but the power team as we we're talking about, right? So that, that will definitely help you with that as well. Uh, so from your portfolio right now, how, how many properties are you at right now? And how many of those are you solely owned by you? And how many are JVs? Well, funny enough, I ended up, so I have currently on the book six, uh, one, so two of them are going to be sold. So the, the one in Nova Scotia was always intended to be a flip. Mm -hmm. um, and it's taken a bit longer because of COVID, uh, right. but it will be sold uh, hopefully actually in January. I think we, I think we're listing it in January. And um, uh, there's another property that I'm, I'm actually already got an accepted offer on. So that'll leave me with um, four properties to hold. And originally I bought the two properties in 2017 and I bought two properties in 2020 with, uh, with the same partner with a new, sorry, a new partner. So he's, he's agreed to go into Windsor with me and buy, just buy a bunch. He's mm -hmm. able to buy, I think we started with five and then as we buy more properties of course that income gets generated next tax return against and then you could actually keep going a little bit as long as he can qualify for mortgages right um but so i i don't own any in my own name anymore uh and the reason for that is i i hit my mortgage wall primarily because i i, I believe my income, A, wasn't enough, mm -hmm. and B, I have a house in Toronto with a very large mortgage on it. So that eats up a really big chunk of my qualification. So the first two properties in Windsor, I didn't properly burr those properties. Uh, that, that's a whole top like story on its own. We could do an entire other episode on that. Yeah. But essentially, I, like, I didn't know enough back then. And I made some some bit of mistakes when it came to the ability to refinance. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you were able to enjoy part one of episode five with Andrew Cox. I'll be posting part two this coming Sunday. So please stay tuned 
and look out for the new episode. From now on, I'm going to make sure to post every single Sunday to keep it consistent so you guys can continuously find great content and stay up to date. The kindest thing you could do is share this podcast across all social media platforms to help as many people as possible. If you like this podcast or have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or YouTube. I'll post the links in the show notes for those accounts so you can find me. I love bouncing ideas off people and I love talking real estate. Thanks and I'll see you in the next episode. Remember, financial freedom is just a couple of properties away. Thank you.